Section 18 of The Natural History, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Natural History, Volume 3, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 18. Chapter 35. The Trees of Asia and Greece the epipactus, the erisa, the snidian grain, or thymelia, pyrosacne, nestron, or snioron. In Asia and Greece are produced the following shrubs, the epipactus, by some known as elaborine, the leaves of which are of small size, and when taken in drink, are an anecdote against poison, just in the same way that those of the erisa are a specific against the sting of the serpent. Here is also found another shrub, upon which grows the grain of snudos, by some known as linum, the name of the shrub itself being thymalia, while others, again, call it camellia, others cyrosacne, others nestron, and others sniorum. It bears a strong resemblance to the wild olive, but has a narrow leaf, which has a gummy taste in the mouth. The shrub is of about the size of the myrtle, its seed is of the same color and appearance, but it is solely used for medicinal purposes. Chapter 36. The Trajan. Tragacanthi. The island of Crete is the only place that produces the shrub called Trajan. It is similar in appearance to the Telebinth, a similarity which extends to the seed even, said to be remarkably efficacious for healing wounds made by arrows. The same island produces Tragacanthi, also, with a root which resembles that of the white thorn. It is very much preferred to that which is grown in media or cassia. The price at which it sells is three denarii per pound. Chapter 37. The tragos, or scorpio, the myrica or bria, the ostries. Asia, too, produces the tragos, or scorpio, a thorny shrub, destitute of leaves, with red clusters upon it that are employed in medicine. Italy produces the myrica, which some persons call tamarix, and acacia, the wild bria, remarkable for the circumstance that it is only the cultivated kind that bears a fruit, not unlike the gall-nut. In Syria and Egypt this plant is very abundant. It is to the trees of this last country that we are given the name of unhappy, but yet those of Greece are more unhappy still, for that country produces the tree known as ostris, or, as it is sometimes called, ostria, a solitary tree that grows about rocks washed by the water, and very similar in the bark and branches to the ash. It resembles the pear tree in its leaves, which, however, are a little longer and thicker, with wrinkled indentations running down the whole length of the leaf. The seed of this tree resembles barley in form and color. The wood is hard and solid. It is said that if it is introduced into a house, it is productive of painful deliveries and shocking deaths. Chapter 38. The Euonymos. There is no tree productive of a more auspicious presage than one which grows in the Isle of Lesbos and is known by the name Euonymus. It bears some resemblance to the pomegranate tree, the leaf being in size between the leaf of that and the leaf of the laurel, 
while in shape and softness it resembles that of the pomegranate tree it has a white blossom by which it immediately gives us notice of its dangerous properties it bears a pod very similar to that of sesame within which there is a grain of quadrangular shape of coarse make and poisonous to animals the leaf too has the same noxious effects sometimes however a speedy alvine discharge is found to give relief on some occasions chapter thirty nine the tree called eon alexander cornelius has called a tree by the name of eon with the wood of which he says the ship argo was built this tree has on it a mistletoe similar to that of the oak which is proof against all injury from either fire or water in the same manner in fact as that of no other tree known this tree however appears to have been known to no other author that i am aware of chapter forty the andracle nearly all the greek writers interpret the name of the tree called andracle as meaning the same as purslane whereas purslane is in reality a herb and with the difference of a single letter is called andracne the andracle is a wild tree which never grows in the plain country and is similar to the arbute tree in appearance only that its leaves are smaller and never fall off the bark too is not rough but might be taken to be frozen all over so truly wretched is its appearance chapter forty one the coccygia the afarsi similar too in leaf to the preceding tree is a coccygia though not so large it has this peculiarity that it loses its fruit while still in the downy state they then call it papas a thing that happens to no other tree the afarsi is another tree that is similar to the andracle and like it bears twice in the year just as the grape is beginning to flower the first fruit is ripening while the second fruit ripens at the commencement of winter of what nature this fruit is we do not find stated chapter forty two the ferula we ought to place the ferula also in the number of exotics and as making one of the trees for in fact we distinguish the trees into several different kinds it is the nature of some to have wood entirely in place of bark or in other words on the outside while in the interior in place of wood there is a fungus kind of pith like that of the elder others again are hollow within like the reed the ferula grows in hot countries and in places beyond sea the stalk being divided into knotted joints there are two kinds of it that which grows upwards into the great height the greeks call by the name of narthex while the other which never rises far from the ground is known as the narthesa from the joints very large leaves shoot forth the largest lying nearest to the ground in other respects it has the same nature as the anise which it resembles also in its fruit the wood of no shrub is lighter than this hence it is very easily carried and the stalks of it make good walking sticks for the aged chapter forty three the thapsia the seed of the ferula has been by some persons called thapsia deceived no doubt by what is really the fact that the thapsia is a ferula but of a peculiar kind with leaves like those of fennel and a hollow stalk not exceeding a walking stick in length the seed is like that of the ferula 
and the root of the plant is white. When an incision is made in the thapsia, a milky juice oozes from it, and, when pounded, it produces a kind of juice, the bark even, is never thrown away. All these parts of the shrub are poisonous, and, indeed, it is productive of injurious effects to those engaged in digging it up, for if the slightest wind should happen to be blowing towards them from the shrub, the body begins to swell, and erysipelas attacks the face. It is for this reason that, before beginning to work, they anoint the face all over with a solution of wax. Still, however, the medical men say that, mixed with other ingredients, it is of considerable use in the treatment of some diseases. It is employed also for the cure of scald head, and for the removal of black and blue spots upon the skin, as if, indeed, we were really at a loss for remedies in such cases, without having recourse to things of so deadly a nature. These plants, however, act their part in serving as a pretext for the introduction of noxious agents, and so great is the effrontery now displayed, that people would absolutely persuade one that poisons are a requisite adjunct to the practice of the medicinal art. The Thapsia of Africa is the most powerful of all. Some persons make an incision in the stalk at harvest time, and bore holes in the root, too, to let the juice flow. After it has become quite dry, they take it away. Others, again, pound the leaves, stalk, and root in a mortar, and after drying the juice in the sun, divide it into lozenges. Nero Caesar, at the beginning of his reign, conferred considerable celebrity on this plant. In his nocturnal skirmishes, it so happened that he received several contusions on the face, upon which he anointed it with a mixture composed of thapsia, frankincense, and wax, and so contrived the next day effectually to give the lie to all rumors by appearing with a whole skin. It is a well-known fact that fire is kept alight remarkably well in the hollow stalk of the ferula, and that for this purpose those of Egypt are the best. Chapter 44 The Caparis, or Cinnabastin, otherwise Ophiostaphyle. In Egypt, too, the Caparis is found, a shrub with a wood of much greater solidity. The seed of it is a well-known article of food, and is mostly gathered together with the stalk. It is well, however, to be on our guard against the foreign kinds, for that of Arabia has certain deleterious properties, that from Africa is injurious to the gums, and that from Marmarica is prejudicial to the womb and causes flatulence in all the organs. That of Apulia, too, is productive of vomiting, and causes derangement in the stomach and intestines. Some persons call the shrub Sinuspatan, others again Ophiostaphyle. Chapter 45. The Serifa. The Serifa, too, that grows on the banks of the Nile, is one of the shrub genus. It is generally about two cubits in height, and of the thickness of one's thumb. It has the foliage of the papyrus, and is eaten in a similar manner. The root, in consequence, of its extreme hardness, is used as a substitute for charcoal in forging iron. Chapter 46. The Royal Thorn. We must take care, also, not to omit a peculiar shrub that is planted at Babylon, and only upon a thorny plant there, as it will not live anywhere else, just in the same manner as the mistletoe will live nowhere but upon trees. This shrub, however, will only grow upon a kind of thorn, which is known as the royal thorn, 
It is a wonderful fact, but it germinates the very same day that it has been planted. This is done at the rising of the dog star, after which it speedily takes possession of the whole tree. They use it in the preparation of wine, and it is for this purpose that it is planted. This thorn grows at Athens also, upon long walls there. Chapter 47 The Cytisus The Cytisus is also a shrub, which, as food for sheep, has been extolled with wonderful enconiums by Aristomachus, the Athenian, and, in a dry state, for swine as well. The same author, too, pledges his word that a jugerum of very middling land, planted with a cytisus, will produce an income of two thousand sesterces per annum. It is quite as useful as the ervum, but it is apt to satiate more speedily. Very little of it is necessary to fatten cattle, to such a degree, indeed, that beasts of burden, when fed upon it, will very soon take a dislike to barley. There is no fodder known, in fact, that is productive of a greater abundance of milk and of better quality. In the medical treatment of cattle, in particular, this shrub is found a most excellent specific for every kind of malady. Even more than this, the same author recommends it, when first dried and then boiled in water, to be given to nursing women, mixed with wine in cases where the milk has failed them, and he says that, if this is done, the infant will be all the stronger and taller for it. In a green state, or, if dried, steeped in water, he recommends it for fowls. Both Democritus and Aristomachus promise us also that bees will never fail us so long as they can obtain the cytisus for food. There is no crop that we know of, of a similar nature, that costs a smaller price. It is sown at the same time as barley, or, at all events, in the spring, in seed like the leek, or else planted in the autumn, and before the winter solstice, in the stalk. When sown in grain, it ought to be steeped in water. And if there should happen to be no rain, it ought to be watered when sown. When the plants are about a cubit in height, they are replanted in trenches a foot in depth. It is transplanted at the equinoxes, while the shrub is yet tender, and in three years it will arrive at maturity. It is cut at the vernal equinox, when the flower is just going off. A child or an old woman is able to do this, and their labor may be had at a trifling rate. It is of a white appearance, as if one would wish to express briefly what it looks like, it is a trifoliated shrub, with small, narrow leaves. It is always given to animals at intervals of a couple of days, and in winter, when it is dry, before being given to them, it is first moistened with water. Ten pounds of cytesis will suffice for a horse, and for smaller animals in proportion. If I may here mention it, by the way, it is found very profitable to sow garlic and onions between the rows of cytesis. This shrub has been found in the Isle of Scythness, from whence it has been transplanted to all the Cyclades, and more recently to the cities of Greece, a fact which has greatly increased the supply of cheese, considering which, I am much surprised that it is so rarely used in Italy. This shrub is proof, too, against all injuries from heat, from cold, from hail, and from snow, and, as Hyginus adds, against the depredations of the enemy even, the wood produced being of no value whatever. Chapter 48 The Trees and Shrubs of the Mediterranean The Phycos, Prazen, or Zoster Shrubs and trees grow in the sea as well, 
those of our sea are of inferior size while on the other hand the red sea and all the eastern ocean are filled with dense forests no other language has any name for the shrub which is known to the greeks as the phycos since by the word alga a mere herb is generally understood while the phycos is a complete shrub this plant has a broad leaf of green color which is by some called prason and others is known as zoster another kind again has a hairy sort of leaf very similar to fennel and grows upon rocks while that previously mentioned grows in shoaly spots not far from the shore both kinds shoot in the spring and die in the autumn the phycos which grows on the rocks in the neighborhood of crete is used also for dyeing purple the best kind being that produced on the north side of the island which is the case also with sponges of the very best quality a third kind again is similar in appearance to grass the root of it is knotted and so is the stalk which resembles that of a reed chapter forty nine the sea brian there is another kind of marine shrub known by the name of brian that has the leaf of lettuce only that it is of a more wrinkled appearance it grows nearer land too than the last far out at sea we find a fir tree and an oak each a cubit in height shells are found adhering to their branches it is said that this sea oak is used for dyeing wool and that some of them even bear acorns in the sea a fact which has been ascertained by shipwrecked persons and divers there are other marine trees also of remarkable size found in the vicinity of Sikyon. the sea vine indeed grows everywhere the sea fig is destitute of leaves and the bark is red there is a palm tree also in the number of the sea shrubs beyond the columns of hercules there is a sea shrub that grows with the leaf of the leek and others with those of the carrot and of thyme both of these last when thrown up by the tide are transformed into pumice chapter fifty plants of the red sea in the east it is a very remarkable thing that immediately after leaving coptos as we pass through the deserts we find nothing whatever growing with the exception of the thorn that is known as the thirsty thorn and this but very rarely in the red sea however there are whole forests found growing among which more particularly there are plants that bear the laurel berry and the olive when it rains also certain fungi make their appearance which as soon as they are touched by the rays of the sun are turned into pumice the size of the shrubs is three cubits in height and they are all filled with sea dogs to such a degree that it is hardly safe to look at them from the ship for they will frequently seize hold of the very oars chapter fifty one plants of the indian sea the officers of alexander who navigated the indian seas left an account of a marine tree the foliage of which is green while in the water but the moment it is taken out it dries and turns to salt they have spoken also of bulrushes of stone bearing a strong resemblance to real ones which grew along the seashore as also certain shrubs in the main sea the color of an ox's horn branching out in various directions and red at the tips these they say were brittle and broke like glass when touched while on the other hand in the fire they would become red-hot like iron and when cool resume their original color in the same part of the earth also the tide covers the forests that grow on the islands 
although the trees there are more lofty than the very tallest of our plains and poplars. The leaves of these trees resemble that of the laurel, while the blossom is similar to the violet, both in smell and color. The berries resemble those of the olive, and they, too, have an agreeable smell. They appear in the autumn, and the leaves of the trees never fall off. The smaller ones are entirely covered by the waves, while the summits of those of larger size protrude from the water, and ships are made fast to them. When the tide falls, the vessels are similarly moored to the roots. We find the same persons making mention of certain other trees, which they saw out at sea, which always retained their leaves, and bore fruit very similar to the lupine. Chapter 52 The plants of the Troglodytic Sea, the Hair of Isis, the Charto Blopheron. Juba relates that about the islands of the Triglodatiae there is a certain shrub found out at sea, which is known as the Hair of Isis. He says that it bears a strong resemblance to coral, is destitute of leaves, and if cut will change its color, becoming quite black and hard, and so brittle as to break if it falls. He speaks also of another marine plant, to which he gives the name Charitoblepheron, and which, he says, is particularly efficacious in love charms. Bracelets and necklaces are made of it. He says also that it is sensible when it is about to be taken, and that it turns as hard as horn, so hard, indeed, as to blunt the edge of iron. If, on the other hand, it is cut before it is sensible of the danger, it is immediately transformed to stone. Summary Remarkable Facts, Narratives, and Observations, 468 Roman Authors Quoted M. Varro, Mucinus, Virgil, Fabianus, Sebosus, Pomponius Mele, Fabius, Procilius, Hyginus, Trojus, Claudius Caesar, Cornelius Napos, Sextius Niger, who wrote in Greek on medicine, Cassius Hymena, L. Piso, Tudetanus, Antheus, foreign authors quoted, Theophrastus, Herodotus, Callisthenes, Isogonus, Clitarchus, Anasimenes, Durus, Nearchus, Onesocritus, Polycritus, Olympiodorus, Diognetus, Cleobulus, Anticlides, Charis of Mytilene, Meneichmus, Dorotheus of Athens, Lycus, Antaeus, Ephippus, Dion, Adamantus, Ptolemy Largus, Marcius of Macedon, Zoilus of Macedon, Democritus, Amphilochus, Alexander Pili Histor, Aristomachus, King Juba, Apollodorus who wrote on perfumes, Heraclides the physician, Botrys the physician, Archidamus the physician, Dionysius the physician, Democlides the physician, Euphron the physician, Nisidus the physician, Diagoras the physician, Iolus the physician, Heraclides of Tarentum, Xenoclides of Ephesus. End of section 18